I am Paula Cole Jones, and my pronouns are she and hers. It's good to be back with you again. It's also Black History Month, mm -hmm. February, and I want to bring a bit of our own history to today's service. So this beautiful stole This was given to me by Blue, which is Black Lives of Unitarian Universalists, at the first theological symposium that was held last November. It was an amazing experience. The symposium was named in honor of Frances Ellen Watkins Harper, poet, abolitionist, suffragist, teacher, writer, and member of the First Unitarian Church in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Did you know that? And it was also named in memory of the Reverend Joseph Jordan, who was the first black ordained Universalist minister in the late 1800s. So my words this morning are going to be, oh, by the way, I need to say, I belong to the Council of Elders. They've had me accept <laughs> my elders. So I've joined the elder community, whether I wanted to or not. I, I made the choice. I tried to delay it for a long time. <laughs> but um, they gave these stoles to us in that honor, and I recognize how important the elder council is to the blue community. My words this morning are going to be more of a reflection than a sermon, uh, because I'm not an ordained minister, but I am very much grounded in Unitarian Universalist principles and values, and in Unitarian Universalist community. So it's from that place that I'd like to engage you today and also, the power of community is very important, so I invite you to participate with the poet snap. Remember that? So if you hear something that really resonates for you this morning, um, you know, feel free to uh, join in. This quotation is by A. Pal Davies. Life is just a chance to grow a soul. Apal Davies was a well-known Unitarian Universalist minister and minister of my home church, All Souls in Washington, D.C., from 1944 to 1957. Life is just a chance to grow a soul. Reverend Davies reminds us that we are always becoming. From our very beginning to our end, we are always becoming, and who we become is shaped by our connections with people, the environment, and events in the world around us. And there's inspiration and parallel wisdom in his words beyond what it means for each of us in terms of our personal journey and growth. The life of a church is just a chance to grow a community. 
Think about that. What if in the end, all that we've been working for, what if church is about growing not only our own souls, but growing a community that can help more people to grow their souls? <laughs> so this move from I to we is what we're talking about. I am because you are. We learn who we are in community. This is the African philosophy of Ubuntu. It's about our shared humanity and our concerns for one another's well-being. And today, we've all chosen to be here because there is something about the Unitarian Universalist story and community and the story of First Unitarian Church of Berks County. There's something about this narrative and this journey that we are on that resonates with your values, our values, and your interests. So it's kind of like when a person goes through life experience and discovers who they are, right? We've all been through that. We discover ourselves. Well, I believe that our Unitarian Universalist churches and communities are becoming more conscious of our lived experience and of the church's historic longing to become the beloved community and to live up to our highest ideals. This longing for the beloved community shapes our journey and calls us forward into new levels of social engagement. So what does that mean? What does it look like? My home church is about to celebrate its 200th anniversary our birthday. We've been on this journey for a long time, working to build the beloved community, and I believe we started that journey before the beloved community ever got its formal name, beloved community. But just how do we build the beloved community? Well, I know this. We cannot afford to be passive about it. Paulo Freire says, passivity serves the interest of oppression. If, if we are building the beloved community, then we need to be able to say why we are doing it and if and how we are succeeding. And if we are not succeeding, then we need to be able to figure out what is it that we need to stop doing and what can we do differently. And we'll only figure this out, I believe, by bringing our communities together to learn from each other how to do the real work of equality and inclusion. You can't have the beloved community without that. <laughs> if we do this, then we will learn what it means to build and belong to a spiritual home, this spiritual home. Now, Dr. Martin Luther King's vision for the beloved community was really a prophetic call to address this country's history of settlement and colonization, militarization and commercialization. 
Dr. King was calling on us to resist and to dismantle the powers and the structures of a historic white supremacy that was the engine behind the first behind the genocide of First Nations people and the dehumanization and brutal enslavement of people from African countries. To the contemporary proliferation of guns and mass shootings, police brutality and mass incarceration, the constant threat, abuse, and detention of people and children who are immigrants and the profits made from people addicted to and dying from opioid addiction, voter suppression, environmental degradation, and much, much more. The structures, the historic structures are what allow these things to continue. The social, economic, political systems of white supremacy have many, many expressions. And when Dr. King spoke of his dream for the beloved community on August 28, 1963, we were then and we are now a long way from growing the soul of the nation that was promised in the words of the founding documents of this country. So listen, listen to those promises again, and I quote, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, end quote. July 4th, 1776, the Declaration of Independence. Next, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, promote, uh, provide for the common defense promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Do ordain and establish the Constitution for the United States of America, May 1787. Or the Gettysburg Address, Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal, November 19th, 1863. These are big promises. We haven't finished, folks. The Unitarian Universalist churches and fellowships have liberal and progressive spiritual principles that express the national ideals of freedom and equality. And while we've been working to change some social norms, I think we've spent too little effort looking at the social 
and institutional structures that we inherited and the ones that we are adopting. We've maintained institutional structures that seem to make sense, but we are using norms that were not set up for the true realization of our stated core values. I'm inspired by a central theological message that can be heard from the pulpit of my church on most Sundays. We are called to build the beloved community with the human family whole and reconciled. These words are an invitation, a vision, that unifies or has the potential for unifying a community. It's a message that says, we all belong here. And I've treasured the brilliance of these words and have shared them with many people. You can hear them reflected in a vision for Unitarian Universalism in a multicultural world that was adopted by the President's Leadership Council in October of 2008, and it states, with humility and courage born of our history, we are called as Unitarian Universalists to build the beloved community where all souls are welcome as blessings and the human family lives whole and reconciled. We are still on this journey and we've not yet finished growing into our own highest calling. We're working on it, but we're not there yet. Why not? What is in our way? Could it be that as nice as we are and as well-intentioned as we are, we have not yet designed our church to do the holy and sacred work of building the beloved community? I know this may sound like confusing because, of course, church is beloved community. But could the challenge of building the beloved community actually be a design issue? What if we had designed and built a structure that was meant for equality? I think that it would look different and that what we have been using would be different. For example, Robert's Rules of Order. That wasn't designed for equality, right? Policy governance, for those of you who may be um, familiar with it, it wasn't designed for equality, and yet many of our churches have adopted it. Mine did. We're dismantling it now. <laughs> I think that we would be closer to realizing the beloved community, and I don't think that we would have needed an eighth principle. But we didn't design for equality. We, we came into a system already designed, and we do need the eighth principle because although we have talked about equality from the beginning of this country's government, we all know that it didn't mean or intend that everyone would be treated equally.
Although we Unitarian Universalists might believe in the inherent worth and dignity of every person, this highly treasured principle has not led to the fulfillment of our promises either. It's helped us to get closer than we were earlier, but it's also kept us, I think, from arriving at a new vision, a new understanding of the beloved community. And we have to ask ourselves, what are we waiting for? We do have control over what happens in our churches and to an extent in our association. But maybe until now, we really didn't know the right questions to ask, or perhaps we didn't feel entitled to ask that structures be changed. That's a big ask, and we're making it now. So how different might our structures and culture look if racism and all the forms of oppression did not exist? What might those structures look like? I think they would be forced to change. What would it look like in your life and in our lives if racism and oppression didn't exist? Not many people, or certainly not enough people, have attempted to answer that question yet. And I know because even when I ask it in my home congregation, people do not have a response. They really have to dig deep for it. Our social conscience is limited and our imaginations are constrained by the structures in which we work and live. So this conversation now is about our liberation from those structures, both individually and collectively. I propose that there's actually a problem with our identity. We still identify church as a family, right? And that's just too narrow a frame. It's like being in a small room that only so many people can get in. Unitarian Universalism is a big tent theology, but we use family, a little tent metaphor, to say who we are. And this is not just an issue for our congregations. I think it's an issue for churches across the country and maybe even around the world. I believe that using the family as a metaphor for church is why they say 11 a.m. on Sunday is the most segregated hour in the United States. It's the family metaphor. The family metaphor has historic and pervasive impact on how we do church and community. It has been in plain sight, but we couldn't see it. So let me put it this way. If we are successful in building the beloved community, it will not be a family. We are so accustomed to thinking and speaking of the church as a family that we don't even question whether or not that metaphor is congruent with who we really are and who we are becoming. In fact, I propose that the family metaphor is actually a barrier, a barrier to building better relationships 
and to realizing our potential. Now I'm going to offer you something instead. And we know that we're in some kind of newer territory because even in preparing for this service, it's extremely hard to find songs and poems and stories that are not about I or not about the intimate or interpersonal relationships or about family. I challenge you to go out and find, you found one, very, very good. <laughs> yes, I'll give you that. It's so hard to find things in our culture about communities working with communities and relating to each other through a lens of equality. I challenge you. And if you find them, let me know because I need a collection. <laughs> Family is a metaphor with the power to shape our structures, our relationships to one another. And changing this aspect of our identity will change our culture and create new possibilities for our own faith formation, for the growth of our movement, and for our effectiveness in the world. Our people and our systems our visions of ourselves are far more complex than family metaphors can explain. You agree with me on that? We should know by now that there's always the risk of arriving at interpretations and, and conclusions with built-in biases that, around identity, culture, and power, and those biases live inside of the structures that have been created. So here are some things to think about when looking at the church as a family. All families have structure. Often there's a pecking order, right? I usually hear lots of snaps on that one. There's a narrow lineage and everyone knows where the authority is in a family. Furthermore, spoken or unspoken, we all know who we can bring home and who we can't. Now think about that when it comes to diversity, equality, and inclusion. It's a barrier. Seeing ourselves as a community of communities better reflects today's reality. It changes the dynamics in our churches and the institution, and it makes room for diversity. The communities are already here. They're already here. We have senior groups, young adults, the music community, the religious education community. We have the governance and leadership community, social justice community, the mindfulness communities, on and on and on. They're already here. We already have it. A community is invested in the well-being of its individual members as well as the collective. And one exciting characteristic of communities is that they have the potential to grow themselves. And I know that from experience. Individuals within a community feel a sense of belonging, shared identity, safety, and empowerment and that may translate to a greater sense of wanting to bring people into that space. 
We live in a society that's constructed to affirm individualism. Moving from I to we means that we're not just about what's comfortable for me individually, but that we're learning how to collaborate and to create environments where everyone can belong. And in 2014, I wrote, there is much about Unitarian Universalist theology that is universal, but many people have not distinguished Unitarian Universalist theology from the culture in our churches. We believe in the inherent worth and dignity of each person. But in a multicultural context, it is about the community of communities, not of individuals. In a community of communities, the well-being of each community is connected to the well-being of the individuals. Multiculturalism embraces the integrity of more than one cultural identity through belief in the inherent worth and dignity of each community within the greater community. In this sense, the people who are already here are not losing something, but they're making space for something greater. They're making space for change." End of quote. If we build church around and for groups of people that are seeking belonging in a progressive religious community, Unitarian Universalism will change. And if we're paying attention to the needs and interests of communities inside and outside as we journey together, we will continue to change because this is the journey of a lifetime and one that hopefully will never end. We will keep recreating ourselves. So let me bring this to a close by asking for two things. One is that we make this identity shift, and I'm asking this all over the country, and see ourselves as a community of communities and not as a family. The family doesn't go away, but it's no longer the center definition of church. And second, that we tell our stories. So often the story of a church is told as the history of the ministers, right? And what about all of the stories of the communities and the people who have been a part of building and sustaining your church, my church, our movement? I'd like to see our churches compile these stories and put them in a book. If you want to know the, the history of your congregation, it's the history of the ministers and all that you've been doing as communities. One of the stories in my own church is of Don Robinson, who came into our church. He worked with the youth group. Then he went to seminary and went on to become a minister, a community minister, and founded Beacon House, which you may have heard of, which invests in the care and development of students in our city. That's an important story. It belongs to the church. It belongs to the association. And there are more stories. We are a community of communities, and it's time for us to bring that to the center. What stories are here to be told at the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Berks County? 
Let this point us on our, let this point on our journey turn us into a community of communities so that we can better practice building and being the beloved community. And I share Margaret Wheatley's words for you to carry with you as you leave today. There is no power or change greater than a community discovering what it cares about. May it be so. And amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you'd like a copy of the transcript of this sermon, you can find most week's messages at www.uuburks.org slash sermons. If you have any thoughts or conversation about today's message, we hope you'll take a moment to stop by our Facebook page and share them. And from all of us at First UU Berks, may this chalice light your path and guide your way until you join us again. Thank you.